John chapter 1, we're going to continue in our um, study of John, John's gospel. A couple weeks ago, we started John's gospel. This is the third sermon in that, uh, in that pursuit, and uh, I'm thinking it will take us up to about a year to go through it, um, and it has been so encouraging for my heart. I pray that you're reading there. Um, following along with us. Um, As one commentator said, the other three gospels, the synoptic gospels, told us what Jesus did, but John introduces us to who Jesus is. Not just what he did, but who he is. Let's read um, in verse 35 through the end of the chapter. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, as they, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. He said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, I saw you. You were under the fig tree. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is God's word. Pray with me. Father, may your words of truth that we just read through the inspired scriptures, may they do more than just entertain or tickle our ears this morning. May they engage our hearts and our minds that would lead to obedience through our actions. Holy Spirit, would you work to bring conviction and restoration and encouragement? Would you enlighten the areas of our life that are in darkness? Ultimately, Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus. And Jesus, as we seek you, would you show us the Father? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I was at a wedding last night. And um, if you ever think about it, there's some pretty weird things we do at weddings, just kind of our cultural things that we do. Um, you know, the, 
the formality of lighting the candles. I mean, you know, that could have been done ahead of time, probably, but here, let us, let us watch other people light candles. I just thought, I was just, uh, just taking some of this in, you know, this is just, and everybody does it a little differently. You know, we did the unity candle, now people are doing unity knots or building sand vases or whatever they're doing. You know, it's always this, this new thing people are doing. Um, one thing that's consistent in all of the ceremonies that I've ever been to is the entrance of the bride. And it's at that moment that everyone kind of, uh, you know, it's the, it's that moment of the wedding ceremony, right? Where everybody is just kind of, you see all the processional and other things and and then the bride, and the music changes and gets a little louder, and we all begin to stand up, and the bride and her father are coming down the aisle, and we all turn like, you know, in, in awe of this moment. Our focus is on the bride, and I think as we even come to the book of John today, like, you know, that's the purpose of John. The author John here, also known as John the Evangelist, he's already told us in chapter 20 why he's writing this, this book, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So all of our, if you can imagine the pageantry of the wedding and John the Evangelist announcing, right, this is Jesus. So many things we could focus on. I want to look at verse 14 to start off on why John's writing. It says, in the word, that's the eternal word who's from God, verse 1 tells us, became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we've received grace upon grace. And we have seen his glory. The gospel was written by John, an eyewitness. He says, we have seen his glory. It's the glory of the only son of God. That is the one who is himself the very same substance of the father, an essence of the father, very God of very God. The image and radiance of the father who is eternally begotten, not made by the father. And this glory of Jesus, who is God incarnate and full of grace and truth, and we receive grace when we see his glory. Here's the point that I want us to get today. I want us to begin to see more fully the glory of God through Jesus Christ. When we see the glory of Jesus, everything else that we struggle with, everything else that we endure, everything else that we're a bit confused about or we suffer through, it all seems to find its right place when our eyes are focused on seeing the glory of Jesus. And in this passage, we get an insight of the early view that some of these first disciples had of the glory of Jesus. You may heard it as I was reading it, this phrase that Jesus mentions to his disciples again and again, this invitation John's disciples begin to follow. Jesus turns around seeing somebody on his tail there. He's like, hey man, what do you guys want? What are you seeking? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he invited them. He said to them, come 
and you will see. And again and again, he finds Philip with this invitation, come and follow me. Come and see. Come and investigate. Come and be near me. Come and walk with me. It's this invitation of Jesus to come and see. I want to look at three dimensions of this coming and seeing this morning. And then we're going to end with pointing again the spotlight on Jesus and who these characters in this passage say of who he is. The first invitation, the first arena of coming and seeing is coming to investigate or examining the evidence. John the Baptist, multiple times here in chapter 1, he goes on the record saying, this is the Christ. But his testimony is a bit strange at first. In verse 31, if you go back to last week's message, John says, I myself didn't know him. Again in verse 33, I myself didn't know him, but God revealed him to me. And we made this point last week. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, likely knew who Jesus was, probably were at the events as they would come together as a whole family. But this means he didn't know him as Christ. And then in verse 34, John begins to give testimony or witness. I have seen and testified that this is God's chosen one. John the Baptist takes this posture of investigation. You read through the passage and the encounter he had. God the Father told John the Baptist, as John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit, that the one in whom the Holy Spirit lands, the dove lands, is the Messiah. And he investigates and then gives testimony or testifying, this is God's chosen one. And then you've got this weird interchange with this guy named Nathaniel. In verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was just a little hick town. It meant nothing in prophecy. It meant nothing through the Old Testament. It was a functional city, little town of, of, of not much noteworthiness. And so he's right, Nathaniel is, to respond, can anything good come out of there? He shows a little bit of his own bias and prejudice maybe. But prophecy said that he would come out of Bethlehem. And how is he then coming out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of there is his question. And I love Philip's response, and we'll look at it again in a minute. His response is priceless. It's just this real example and lesson for us. He just says, hey, let's go see. Let's go investigate. I, I don't know all the answers to that question. Let's, let's go check it out. Come and investigate. Let's examine the evidence. I feel like in traditional religion, sometimes we seem to deny this point, that we have this understanding that unless you believe everything just like we do then you can't come and be with us but that's ridiculous and it's certainly not the model of ministry that Jesus invited people into had serious people who had serious questions and serious doubts I have a friend who I've been having some spiritual conversations with for almost 10 years and she's not a believer she's a seeker and I invited her to church, and I invited her several times. One time she said, Luke, I don't think I could come to your church. I, I, I don't think I would be welcome there because I don't believe all the things. 
You don't have to believe all the things to come check it out, to come investigate, to come examine the evidence. As a church, friends, we're a hospital for sinners, right? The fellowship of the trouble-hearted. We have to make space for people who are all over the place in their spiritual journey. We see this is an important step for John the Baptist as he's wrestling with this. This is the chosen one. Someone sent me a text this week asking about this question. Later on in his ministry, Luke 7 records that John the Baptist was in prison. And he would later really struggle with doubt. He says in Luke 7 verse 19, he sent his disciples to go ask Jesus from prison, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? This is John the Baptist struggling with doubt, investigating, examining. Are you really the one? I know God said that and the dove came and you were the one, but things aren't really lining up like I expected them to line up. They're not turning out as John would have hoped. He thought he was going to be Jesus' hype man, right there for the big tent revivals, the, the healing services. Jesus was going to come and bring judgment, was going to come wrecking things, you know, like Jesus in the temple that one day. But that was going to be the mode of most of Jesus' ministry, and it just wasn't. In essence, John the Baptist is saying, Jesus, I'm in prison. I'm your cousin. I'm your wingman. Certainly, it's easier for you to break me out of jail than to keep healing these people and raising people from the dead. The truth is, most of the stuff on your most important list might not be on Jesus' list at all. We doubt God's plan. And you know when we doubt God's plan the most is when we can't see him. When things feel silent or dark, when we're walking through real struggle and real pain with real tears and real heartache, experiencing real loss, we begin to feel so distant begin to be confused so John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus just to clarify hey just to make sure I saw everything right and I just didn't eat something weird that's you you are the one right or is there someone else to come Jesus responded to John then and maybe to us now I am the Messiah he quotes scripture And points to all the miraculous works that he's doing. In essence saying, John, I need you to focus on the truth. Not how you feel right now. Focus on the truth. And that's the invitation. That we would come and see. That we would come and investigate. Who Jesus really is. For us it would be coming and examining the evidence. To read the gospel accounts. I told you this last week and the week before, the best thing for my soul, when I feel so disconnected from God, so confused about where we're at in the world, the best thing for me is just to get back to the Gospels and to read them multiple times and read them in different translations and to try to put myself in the situation to hear the words of Jesus who never promised us peace and prosperity on this side of glory. But the one thing he did promise, right, is that he would be with us. Most of us who really struggle with doubt do so because we begin to wander away 
from Jesus. And this has been the hardest part of this whole pandemic season for me. Because we've been disconnected from each other and normally as a pastor you can kind of see people weekly and kind of hear their cries for help a little bit as they begin to get further and further outside of the flock. And as a pastor you can go to them and say, hey man, get in here. Let's do this together. We're better together. Let's lean in together into each other. And yet with this pandemic, we've been so separated and people are just getting further and further away from community of really walking with God. And the people I meet are in a mess emotionally and spiritually. And the remedy really is just to get back to Jesus. As John says that we have seen his glory as Jesus invites these early disciples, hey, just come and see. Come and investigate. Come and spend time with me. Come and spend the day with me. I love Jesus' question here too when he asks those disciples of John, what are you seeking? As in, what's the real thing here? What do you really want? Maybe it's a question for you as you sit there on a Sunday, we're going through the ritual, we're going through the tradition. It's easy to hear a sermon one ear out the other. Let's go do lunch. Let's watch some NFL. Let's, let's try to imagine life without masks and pandemics. But maybe that would be the ultimate question to your own heart this morning. What are you really seeking? The invitation is to come and see. The invitation is to come and follow. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, come, follow me. Not just to come and see, not just to come and be with me, but come and follow me. This is a literal changing of one's life as they leave a, the current place that they're in and literally walk with Jesus to another place. It's an invitation to change your life. It's, it's not just about believing. It's about actually taking steps to follow Jesus. You know, John's disciples knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Remember in last week's message he told him in verse 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John's disciples would have certainly been there to see the baptism of Jesus. Maybe even to hear from heaven this loud voice calling out in approval over Jesus. They would have seen all these things. And yet they never left to follow Jesus. And then he says it again in this passage in verse 35. The next day John was standing with the two disciples and he looked and at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. I love that this is, every time we see John the Baptist in these early accounts, this is what he's saying every time he walks by. Hey, you guys, look over there. There's Jesus. There's, there's the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. There's the perfect sacrificial Lamb. Not just to buy you temporary freedom from Egypt, but to buy eternal freedom from your own sin and condemnation. Hey guys, I want you to look over there. Don't look at me. I want you to look at Jesus. But at some point, John's disciples leave John 
and go follow Jesus. And this is certainly what John the Baptist would have even wanted. He said this is what his ministry was here for. There was a point when they went from a fan to a follower. I was talking about this with the McKenzie's the other day. We had a little barbecue on the back porch. Y'all remember fan clubs? Maybe MySpace pages. You remember MySpace pages? Is that just me, MySpace? I was in the No Doubt fan club on MySpace. I was, yes. Got all, got all the updates. A little, you know, guilty pleasure, I guess. Where you knew things about them. It was like before Instagram and Facebook where you would find out that Gwen Stefani only likes green Skittles or something. And you'd be like, oh, that's so cool. Look what I know about them. You know, this is like before Instagram, people took pictures of their food. This was like the early version of this. I guess Zanga was actually right before that, but we won't, I won't date myself like that. We're fans of these people, but we don't know them. They don't know us. They wouldn't recognize us. Yet there's a point here when these people went from being a fan of Jesus to actually being a follower of Jesus. From cheering him on from a distance to getting up close to him. So you're in the fan club of some person, an author, writer, performer. You know all these things about them. But what would it be like if you actually married that person? Then your relationship goes from distance and cheering them on from afar to your life being intermingled with them. Intermingled with theirs. Every decision you make is now related to them in some way. Impacted by them in some way. It's impacted in every arena. Watching these friends get married yesterday. You almost, Ashley and I have been married 18 years. And you're excited for them. But there's almost this little sense of like, man, they have no idea what's coming here. You know, like, this is going to be awesome. Ashley and I got married, like I said, 18 years ago. We went on a cruise and, uh, for our honeymoon. And so we go on this cruise. And I guess day two or three of the cruise, Ashley looked over. And I was wearing a, uh, a little necklace. And she's like, hey, what is that necklace? It was a necklace a former girlfriend had given me. Excuse my ignorance. I didn't know that, I didn't know that was a, a, off the table. I didn't know, you know, it was in the past. It was real gold, worth something. I just, she didn't have, she didn't have to say anything. She just looked at me and like, oh, okay, I'll take that off. I'll just go ahead and, uh, we're just going to go ahead and remove that and just slide it in the bag, you know. We went to the jewelry store on the cruise ship and bought a new necklace that was not tainted right? When you get married, right, your life is, you don't even go to the grocery store without telling each other. Like, everything about your life is intermingled. And somehow, this is, this is the shift that I want us to see, that these disciples didn't just follow from a distance. John just kept pointing, hey, John the Baptist said, hey, there's the, there's the Lamb of God. Takes away this, hey, look, behold the Lamb. Hey, he's the one, the chosen one, the Messiah. Hey, hey you, should, you should walk a little closer to him, And at some point, at one of the announcements, the disciples of John finally left the MySpace page and said, you know what, let's go see who he's really about. Let's go really follow him. To be a disciple of Jesus is actually to follow him. 
to clarify, he doesn't follow you. You're not the one calling the shots. Well, God, I just, man, I just don't like this part of the passage of Scripture. Surely I can find some scholar somewhere to tell me the Greek means something else. No, you know, most times Scripture means exactly what it says. It really is, it really is pretty forthright. We live in sin and suffer the consequences of that. And then we get angry and mad at God. We make our own plans and demand him to bring blessing. No, Jesus doesn't follow you. You follow him. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower. So whatever he says through his word now has ultimate authority in our life. And if our lives look different than God's word, we have to adapt our life. We have to conform, right, to the image of God as expressed through the word of God to us. The invitation to come and follow, to change your life. Man, my encouragement for many of us today is that we would make that step. If you're just cheering from afar, man, come get close to Jesus. His invitation is to come and follow. The third arena we're going to talk about in this come and see kind of ministry of Jesus is come and discuss real life and community. Again, in verse 35, John the Baptist is introducing his disciples to Jesus. In verse 41, Andrew goes and finds his brother Simon, Peter. I also thought it's funny. Did you not catch that too in verse 42? He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. Of course, okay. And then Jesus just changes his name immediately. You'll now be called Cephas. I just find that so odd. God, God could see something in Simon before he ever walked with him. In general, the way to really see and know Jesus is almost always through a friend. Let me ask this question that I want you to participate in. How many of you came to Jesus through a friend? Someone invited you to church, youth group, your parents. How many of you came to Jesus because someone else introduced you to someone? How many of you? Just raise your hand. If you came to Jesus because someone else brought you to church, someone else taught you scripture, the rest of you just got visions in the night, right? (laughs) Right? Most of us come to Jesus through a friend because someone invites us in. Or we have parents or grandparents who teach us God's word, who point to Christ. We come in community. Keller says it this way, Tim Keller. If Christianity was a philosophy, then maybe the way most people would come is through some great teacher. But Christianity is an encounter with a person. And the main way that we find him is through friends. Verse 45, then Philip found Nathanael. Nathanael was resistant, of course, at first. And Philip just wasn't thrown off by his abrasiveness. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? No, he just invited him to take a step. I love this. You know what, friends, you need to have a few people in your life who are further along in their Christian walk than you are. You need to have a few people in your life that are kind of right in the same journey that you're in, struggling with some of the same things. 
And then you need to have some people in your life that are a little further behind you, newer to the faith. This is why I love our DGs. A couple weeks ago, we started discipleship groups that we refer to as DGs. And I love this format because they're made up of three or four people, some further in the faith, some maybe further behind, some kind of right at the same space. And we're all reading God's word together. We're encountering the word We're applying it. We're encouraging each other in it. It's a beautiful picture of this very thing. As we seek to come and follow Jesus, it's sometimes best done in community. A few just quick points of application from this is that we should be patient. How many times did the greatest man who ever lived had to point his disciples to Jesus before they went from being a fan to a follower? Maybe the same with you. Maybe you've got some people of peace in your life. Maybe even family members who are far from God and you've been praying and you've been pointing and you've been praying and you've been pointing to Jesus and praying and pointing and and, and that's just been your life and it's been a year or two or 10. My encouragement, friends, is just be patient. Just keep praying and keep pointing them to Jesus. Asking the Holy Spirit that he would give the gift of faith to them. Keep displaying what a gospel-changed life looks like. Keep inviting them to take a step. So be patient and then take courage. Why are most of us so scared to talk about Jesus, to point people to Jesus in our workplaces that are secular as we move to a more post-Christian society? Why are we so scared? I think it's the question of Nathaniel here. Nathaniel asked a really good question that Philip didn't know the answers to. I feel like with, in just today's world, we need to have a PhD in apologetics to talk about God. At least we feel, well, what about all the evil in the world? And what about stem cell transplants? And, 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 and what about the political scene? And, and, and all these things. And Philip doesn't drop his head and just walk away defeated because Nathaniel asked a really good question. Nazareth? I thought he was supposed to come from Bethlehem. Philip had no real good answer. But instead of bowing his head in insecurity and inflexibility, he basically says, you know what, I don't don't know. Let's check this out together. You know, when talking to people about deep things of your faith, it's okay not to have all the answers. And to say, you know what, that's a great question. Let's look up some passages about that and explore this together. Philip responds with this confident humility, which I think really is the key. Why come and see? Why didn't Jesus just tell them all the things they had to believe? Why didn't he just, he wasn't there yet, but why didn't he just recite the Apostles' Creed? Well, if you'll just believe this, this, and this, then everything's going to be great. Why why, why did he invite them to come close? Because being a Christian is not just about belief. It's not just about cognitive assent. It involves the mind and the heart and our actions. And to tell you the truth, most ministry really is come and see ministry. As a young kid, I grew up in church. I got baptized multiple times every time I was scared of hell. I remember seeing all the flanagraph stories. Anybody else with the flanagraphs? Am I dating myself too? Yeah, you know, the 
This is Joseph, right? Really? That's what he looked like? But it wasn't until my junior or senior year in high school when my faith moved from being my parents' faith to my faith. Now, they had always had, as parents, they had always had a come and see ministry. They, they, we were in on the inside of, of all the things, planting several churches, praying for people. But my faith really became my faith and solidified through these come and see kind of ministry. About a dozen people that God just gifted into my life of people who really loved God. Friends, that is not something that you can fake. Just this deep adoration for Jesus. And we focus on all the theological discrepancies and the denominational stuff. But you show me someone who is deeply in love with God. Who is walking with him. Who, who can't sing about him without this adoration of just light in their face. It doesn't matter what we're singing. Man, if we're talking about the exalted Christ, let's sing it in any 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 version that you got it in, right? They just have this thing about them. They, they're walking with God. And that is so infectious. And God gifted some people like that in my own life. Of course, my dad and mom is, you know what the really thing was for me with them? And they taught all the Bible studies and we did all the things and dad preached to us every night uh, at the dinner table. It was me watching them love really difficult religious older brothers. These people were so vile in the local church. If you haven't noticed, some people in the church can be the worst kind of people. Like, where, where did they get these people? I, I want to address them as Jesus did the Pharisees. You brood of snakes, right? That's, but my parents just kept loving them and inviting them and just loving them. And I just remember as a little kid thinking, man, why don't they just punch them in the face? You know, why don't they just, can't we just pronounce them to hell or something? Isn't there something in the Bible about that? Like the disciples, can't we just call down, you know, lightning from heaven and just zap these people? And yet they just love them. I could talk about so many people that just invited me just to come and see and I saw this deep adoration for the Lord in their life. And in that process, my faith was rooted. It was strengthened because other people invited me in close. Most ministry is not sandwich boards at intersections and loudspeakers. Most ministry is not from the stage anywhere. You know what most ministry is in your homes? It's over coffee. It's inviting people in. Say, hey, just, just come and see. You don't have to believe all the things. Just come and see. As one commentator emphasized, there's only one way to heaven. We know that. Jesus says in John 14, 6, he's the only way. Only one way to Jesus, only one way to heaven, but there's many ways to Jesus. Only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus, but there are many ways to Jesus. And most, almost every one of them involves an invitation of a friend. We see this here in the text, that Andrew came to Jesus because of the preaching of his friend John. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. 
Peter came to Jesus because of the witness of his brother Andrew. Also a quick note, and you can do a quick study. Every time we see Andrew in scripture, he's bringing someone else to Jesus every time. Philip came to Jesus as a result of a direct call from Jesus. Simply come and follow me was sufficient. Nathaniel came to Jesus as he overcame some personal prejudices by a personal encounter with Jesus, also on the invitation of a friend. Nathaniel got to see really the first miracle reported here in the book of John. But of course, this is all about Jesus. All of these people declaring as they met Jesus, as they began to see his glory, they began to declare who Jesus was. Again, John the Baptist testified that Jesus was eternal, that he was a man uniquely appointed, anointed with the Holy Spirit, that he was the Lamb of God, that he was the unique Son of God. Andrew proclaimed when he encountered Jesus, began to see his glory as the curtains opened, Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Philip testified that Jesus was the one prophesied in the Old Testament. Nathanael responded that Jesus is the Son of God and the King of Israel. But let me add one more. This is what Jesus says of himself. In verse 51, And he said to him, Truly, truly, amen and amen, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus here amens his point before he makes it. I love that. Amen is the so be it. So when we have the decaf Sundays around here like we do a lot and y'all are really quiet, I'm just going to start amening myself. Amen, Luke. Say it again, brother. Say it again. You know, we say amen as I testify to that truth. That's what it means. Or, or so be it. That's what it means. Amen. But Jesus says amen before he makes the statement, not in response to some other statement someone else makes. I love this. Only the Son of God can do this. The King James translates it verily, verily. ESV here says truly, truly. The word is amen and amen. Like you don't have to go looking for more and better truth, Jesus says. This is the truth. That you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He uses this phrase, the son of man. The idea behind this phrase is not the perfect man or the ideal man or the uber man or even the common man. Instead, it was a reference to Daniel 7 where the king of glory who comes to judge the world was called the son of man. And Jesus often used this title about himself because it wasn't a loaded political phrase. It was a messianic title free from political and nationalistic statements, sentiments. When a Jewish person heard the word king or Christ, they often thought of the coming political and military savior. When they heard the phrase the son of God, they thought of Augustus, the leader of Rome, who also called himself by the same name. So Jesus didn't use those terms. You know what he used? The son of man. Son of Man points us to the dual nature of Christ, fully God, from heaven, full of supernatural power and glory. As John says, we have seen his glory. On the other hand, it points us to his lowliness, 
his willing to be incarnate, to come as a baby, willing to suffer for us, eventually taking on the curse of sin. Jesus condemned so that we could be set free. Friends, this is the beauty of the gospel. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, would love us to such an extent that he would come, and not come just to pay for our sins, but he would come that we could have a relationship with him. And that's why the phrase is not just believe this. The phrase is, hey, come and, come and follow. Come and see. Come and think. Jason asked this morning, we gather together and pray, and he said, what's the point today that you're really hoping that our people hear? Our prayer has been that we can pull back the curtains a little more and that we could really see the glory of Jesus. To see his supremacy, his exaltation. I want to read this quick passage in closing before we take communion. In Colossians 1, it might be the most, the second most beautiful passage. I told you John 1 is probably my first. This might be the second And I just want you to, just where you're at, would you just sit where you're at and close your eyes? You're so tempted to be distracted by all the little things and the afterwards and even some of the difficulty you're walking through. I know some of you are carrying such heavy burdens. Can I encourage your friends that Jesus is big enough to shoulder that load? you got such hatred in your heart towards someone and Jesus is big enough to give you supernatural power to actually forgive them. you got so many doubts and questions in your mind, it's hard for you to interact. And Hey, let, let me invite, Jesus is okay with that. He can handle your doubts. Bring your questions to him. Maybe it's a season of disappointment. You've just been so hurt and disappointed by someone. Your heart's so heavy. Jesus invites you to come and find healing. Paul writes this to the church of Colossae, of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on heaven or on the earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you too, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
as the song sings, who is this King of glory? Jesus, thank you for being the suffering servant, for being the son of man who came to get close, to crawl into our spaces, to understand our temptations, our doubt, our difficulty, our disappointments. And yet all the while offer us a better way to tell a truer story. And I pray for our church this morning. Jesus, would you be lifted up and draw men unto yourself? May we see your glory. Knowing that once we see your glory, we can never be the same. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.